Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This is your host for this week, Jacob Myers here. Andrew, uh, again, a little busy with work, so he got a little tied up. But uh, joining me this week on the podcast uh, from the great state of Tennessee, we've got Chris Andrews on the podcast. And uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation. So, Chris, I'll say right now at the beginning, thanks for joining me. And, uh, dude, I'm excited to talk to you and talk about some deer hunting. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I was going to say, you know, early in this podcast, I want to put this out. Uh, I actually had 
found out or learned about you from one of our past guests and a, and a fan favorite, uh, Bobby Worthington. I uh, spoke very highly of you, uh, and I started, I guess, following along with you on Facebook. And uh, come to find out, dude, you kill some pretty good deer. <laughs> you kill some pretty big deer, man, on uh, on public land. And it kind of got me interested in doing a podcast. And I talked to Bobby a little bit about it, and then of course reached out to you. And uh, this is where we are today, having a conversation. So, Chris, before we kind of you know talk about the, the the topic at hand for today, can you give me a little bit of background? I know you're not originally from Tennessee. Uh, you know, what's your background when it comes to hunting public land, and, and kind of what brought you down to Tennessee and your relationship with Bobby? Okay, so uh, I'm originally from Northern Illinois. Uh, been hunting public land since I was 23. I got into deer hunting at 18. Uh, always been a competitive person. Deer hunting, nobody in my family deer hunted, so it was uh, just kind of something I was drawn toward. And bow hunting in Illinois, it, it, you know, if anybody knows the history of that, is the shotgun seasons are very short, so you want to learn to be a good bow hunter so you can hunt more often. Um, so I got into that and public land hunt just by necessity because back home, it was kind of, you had to have the right name to get a good piece of property. So got into public land and kind of started getting after it and blindly just going at it then. And then got into reading North American Whitetail, but always see Bobby Worthington's articles in there and would read a lot of his stuff and Don Higgins. And then uh, ended up meeting my wife, who's from Tennessee. Uh, we agreed that we'd live in Tennessee. So we moved down here. And before we moved, Bobby had put out a new book of his, all of his articles and kind of everything compiled into this book. And I told my wife, I'd really like that for Christmas. <laughs> and she said, yeah, yeah, we'll see. But we would come to Tennessee every year to visit Christmas. And we were here visiting her parents. And I think it's Christmas Eve in the door. They said, hey, Alice is my mother-in-law. Our friends at the door, Chris going to the door. So I went, you know, unknowing, just thinking I was going to meet somebody I didn't know. And there's Bobby Worthington standing with his book and his son, AJ, was with him. So relationship, he stepped around and we talked for a couple hours, easy, like Christmas Eve. You know, it was huge to me. Not many people would do that on Christmas Eve, but turns out he's only lives an hour and a half from us. So um, from there, just kind of got invited to his house. Whenever we'd come down, and then when we moved down, got to go in the woods with him and actually see kind of what his words meant, you know, whatever, what he had in his book. And it just kind of sailed from there. You know, we stayed in contact. We see each other often and talk on the phone weekly. Yeah, and I'll, I'm very curious in talking about, uh, you know, how this relationship kind of impacted you, which we're going to get into the episode, but I want to talk about just the overall topic of what we're going to be discussing today is that transition from, you know, as a bow hunter, or really as a hunter in general, when you're going from just wanting to kill, you know, a good buck or just kill deer to transitioning like, hey, I don't want to just kill deer. I don't want to just kill good deer. I want to be able to target specific bucks. And, and figure out how I can do that successfully where I, I have a target, I can execute on the target um, and, and make everything happen like, like I want. And that's something that Bobby's well known for specifically is how he able how, how he's been able over the years, uh, you know, target specific deer based off sign and then, you know, later on based off trail cameras to be able to go in and, and take some absolute giant deer, both in Tennessee and in Illinois um, on, on public and some private land too. So, I, I want to talk about with you, Chris, when you kind of moved down here, 
you know, what was that background with you bow hunting? I mean, were you already, you know, have some success while you're up in Illinois? And then when you moved down here, how did that kind of change or how did that shift, especially with the new environment, new habitat and the whole nine yards? So, yeah, I had a year or two up there of hunting after I'd met Bobby. So immediately I, I had success. Like I told you earlier, I would you know, get on those deer. And they just were always seemed to be out of the right. So and I met him and I got lucky and killed a few and I'd met him. And of course he always would talk about specific deer and this and that. Well, that year I killed the first deer. It's a big eight, about a 149 inch eight in Illinois that was specifically picked out. Let's go after him. A buddy of mine and I, Shared a farm, which he had permission. We were allowed to hunt it during the rut. And I had run cameras on that farm for us the whole year. And it was kind of out near where I public hunt. So that deer was on the, he was, you know, on the list. And that was the first deer that I actually used cameras and sign and, you know, tree rubs, scrapes and bedding areas and stuff to really kind of figure out his core area. And it kind of a, that's where it went from there. And then moving to Tennessee, I was, you know, the public land here is, it's totally different, at least from back home at that time. Um, down here, like I told you before, here don't stop to figure out what you are. They're gone. As soon as they hear something, they're, they're gone. Uh, the hunter population seems to be a little heavier in middle Tennessee than I'm used to, but it's, it's different. Um, the deer, it's a little thicker than, you know, Northern Illinois, you know, it's still farm field and such. So, it's definitely it took some getting used to and and then also for your background you know how long now have you been living in tennessee 10 or 12 years something like that and then with that now i want to kind of transition by the time you started you moved down here you said you had gone back to illinois uh, after visiting with your uh, your in-laws and met bobby and started kind of targeting more specific deer had some success and you kind of came down here one thing that you and me have talked about previously, not on the recording, but previously just on a phone call, was kind of like the impact of kind of seeing, I think, was, you know, Bobby's take on, on how he goes about hunting and maybe how different it was from, you know, the way you were doing it previously. Because you had mentioned to me, again, when you were hunting in Illinois, it would be one of those things like, yeah, you could find deer, but they were out of bow range or it was kind of inconsistent where, you know, Bobby got it has his own takes, which anybody's listened to any of our episodes with Bobby kind of understands, you know, Bobby's style of hunting. But how did that kind of rub off on you um, kind of early on to then try, try to figure out, well, how kind of, you know, make this work with, you know, my experience and my style of hunting? So one thing was like reading the funnel properly. There was, there, I can remember an instance where I was hunting the side of this, this ridge top and it was, it's more rolling. It wasn't super steep. And I was hunting the side hill and a lot of these deer were up top or down below me, but they would all come to where the hill would come down and it would go to a point and go down and do the fields out. So I learned quickly that I need to be near that point where all these trails are coming together. And, you know, it seems very easy, but you know, you know, no brainer, but when you're, trying to figure stuff out and you put it together and then 
that's where a lot of, you know, that's kind of what I learned from it is trails in the woods or the timber that come together and you don't know why it's flat. You just, there's three trails that come together. You don't know why. So I was always stuck on the why, why. Mm. And one thing I learned from him was you don't need to know why you just need to know where. And it's, you hear him say all the time, big deer are where you find them. So I got off the why and just figured out the where. There's three trails coming together here. This is a great place for a trail camera. I don't need to know, is there, what's the, what's the funnel here? I just need, you know, most of the time you can see it, but there's times where I've, you've been in the, where I've been in the woods and with him and it's a worst funnel. You know, it's just three trails coming in here at flat ground. I don't, you don't need to know why. I just know that they're there. Oh, dude, listen, I, uh, not to, yeah, not to cut you off. This is like we're we're gonna get real. It's gonna get real juicy in this conversation, uh, as Andrew says sometimes. Um, it, which is what you just mentioned, talking about get off the why and just worry about the where. Um, that is that is something I've I haven't necessarily I don't remember ever him him ever saying that. And it, it's a very interesting point you brought up because I feel like I'm extremely guilty of this. Is you're trying to you you find this sign in a specific spot and you're like, well, why are they coming through here? Like, what is what is the reasoning for them? And, and instead of necessarily getting into that nitty gritty and thinking of the psychology of what's going through that deer's mind as he's acting as he's an animal going through the woods doing what he's doing, just worrying about where that sign is and and, and hunting accordingly. So maybe we can kind of dive into that topic too as well. With this is like again getting away from the why and just worrying about the where because I think that's a that's an awesome quote uh, just from this episode alone that I think is going to be super impactful for a lot of people. Yeah, I think a lot of times you could figure out the why after the kill. The why everything focus comes into focus, you know what I mean? And then it's, oh, that's why. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. And then also, th- does it also, do you feel like uh, the use of trail cameras help explain the why as well or is it more so after you kill the deer with certain conditions and everything that why really kind of comes out uh again after you kind of focus on the where i think it depends on the situation there i can think of two different situations where trail cameras helped me figure out the why and the where and then there were trail cameras that figured out the where and watching the buck come in and where he came from i figured out the why after the shot, standing there looking at everything, it was like, oh, he was bedding there. Does come out of there. That's the why he's here. He's bedding there because he knows they're coming out of here. This is where I needed to be to intercept him from them. It, it brings up a point I want to kind of get in kind of early in this conversation. Can you maybe discuss or explain the differences, like just the, the mindset of the the why and then the mindset of what you're trying to find or, or focus on when it comes to the where and getting more towards the where and not worrying so much about the why right then and there. But can I use the deer that I killed in Illinois, the eight point as an example? So we knew the where through trail cameras. I had tracked, you know, he would come into this picked cornfield out of the neighbor's property and the property to the south. He would come into the property we had permission to hunt. So we had three three cameras along this fence line and we we kept seeing him come out of this one corner which was a thicket and that made logical sense to be there we figured that was the where well 
we never could get on them there. And one morning we went to check trail cameras. This is what I'm big on too is I'll get out of a tree stand and go check trail cameras where, you know, if I feel I'm missing something, I'll get out and go check the trail camera. So we went and checked the trail camera and he and he was there early coming through. So my buddy said, I'll hunt here. And that's fine, go hunt there. But it didn't sit right with me. It's like he's coming through early. He's not here. This ain't the the exact where. So I knew I'd tra- had his trail camera picture across a, uh, it's like a deep gully that comes out, point out into this cornfield. I went around it, and there was a tree that had been struck by lightning, and I put my, my tree stand right there. So I saw these does come out of the back of me, and I saw a flash, and it was him. He was bedding in the corner of this field, and a little dinky, that's like I just discussed earlier, he was bedding in this little thicket. I mean, it wasn't the size of a, maybe two coffee tables. He was bedding there. And he was there waiting for because he knew where the does were bedding. Well, I didn't know the does were bedding there. And I didn't know that's where he was. But I knew where I'd had his trail camera and where he was wanting to come to because he kept coming to this cornfield. So he had got up when the does came out, and there he was. But he was he had bedded there probably most of the summer. It's my guess. It's get food, shelter, everything right there. I hadn't figured that out until he came walking up at 10 yards and standing there in front of me. And I shot, shot him and he, you know, ran off and died. And it was, holy second. He's been there the whole time, probably watching us come in. And I want to talk more about the, the, the where, um, aspect, because it's not just where that buck is and where his sign is, but it's also about well, where's the best place to ambush that deer based off stand location, you know, and, and everything. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about this. And again, maybe, cause I mean, that's again, a super impactful, uh, kind of quote that you said that something that I'm, I'm really going to take to heart is focus more on the where, you know, when it comes to like that where aspect, where do you, <laughs> I'm using this word so much, but where, where do you think people go wrong with it? Like, where do you feel like, you know, people just get so caught up in the, the nitty gritty details and they don't look more big picture on uh, overall deer movement or, again, idea of, of um, you know, where that buck's spending most of his time. And I think, you know, you, you can look at where, where does he want to be? Where is he? Right. And you need to be in the middle. I think people get caught up and they have to know everything about the whole situation i mean i don't need to necessarily know exactly where he's betting especially now you need to understand that with my time restraints and stuff i do hunt mostly in late that last week october into november so i know they're going to be looking for the ladies so that's you got you know i'll find the 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 doe bedding areas that fail where the does like to hang out right and then you got, if you know you got an ag field, you know they're ending up there at night. I got to figure out the route that he's using. And usually it's trail cameras that figure that out. Most people ain't got the time to spend day, you know, in the woods to figure that out anymore. Um, trail cameras help that. They hunt while you're not there. Um, and I don't have to know exactly where that deer is bedding, under what tree, what bush, because from what I've seen is, they like on public land, especially they may not, they don't, I don't see deer bedding in the same place all the time. And as a matter of fact, where I'm hunting, it is hard to find a deer bed. So 
I think they're more random in their betting to be it's safer for them for some reason. But I just need to know where they're going and get in between that. Does that does that help out? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and it kind of brings up, you know, kind of getting into the nitty gritty on this on you know how you've kind of molded you know, some of these things that you just discussed with Bobby into kind of becoming your own and, and kind of figuring out like what's that style uh, or strategy that's effective for you. And I, I want to get back to uh, something you said very early in this podcast, which is when you were in Northern Illinois hunting, uh, you know, you would have run-ins with some, you know, good deer, uh, big bucks, but it always seemed like they were out of range um, or just for whatever situation, it was just kind of tough to, you know, get one shot with a bow. And then a few things changed and you started having more and more success. What was one of those big changing moments that kind of helped you be able to get more deer within bow range, especially with a more limited time schedule with like what you do uh, for a living, you know, it kind of limits you on, you know, you can't, you're not hunting all season long. You're not hunting from opening day to the end of season. So, you know, what has kind of helped you become more efficient and effective at getting more of those bucks in range, especially when you're talking about hunting on public land? So I would say first thing is, is, my schedule in the in February and March is a lot easier, is less. You know, it's not as it's less hectic. So I walk. I'll be in the woods just about every every day. I get a chance. I'll go and it's exercise. It's I mean, and I'm not necessarily looking for anything specific. I'm just walking to learn new terrain, looking for uh, first. I want to see big deer sign. I want to see rubs. I want to see rubs with damage. I want to see a lot of rubs. I want to see scrapes. I want to see them deep into the ground. You know, is it, you can tell by a deer, you know, a deer's body size. If you get some of that, I don't know what this stuff's called. It'll grow in the fields. It's, man, it's, it's like a grass. It's real tough. If that's mat, if that's pawed out to dirt, you know, he did some damage there. He's got some shoulder, he's got some weight to him. He's got big shoulders on him. Um, that, you know, he's able to paw that. I don't remember. I don't even know what it's called, but Bobby and Bobby pointed this out to me um, when he was hunting with me a few years ago, but I'm looking for deer sign. I mean, I'm not necessarily looking. I don't necessarily go on on X and just point out, okay, I'm going to go to that, that funnel there. I'm going to go to that saddle. I'm going to go to that because I'm, I'm public landed. It's not always textbook. It's not always the way you read, you know, the way you read it in articles, you got to get out there and put the boot leather in because pressure plays a big, big role in the way these deer use the land they may not they may use a terrain structure that they don't like to use but at this particular place they have to use it because there's no pressure there's not as much pressure there where maybe they would rather use that saddle to go over but they're so used to you know a weekend warrior hunting there they're not going to use that saddle so i'm walking and looking for it you know his sign big deer are going to leave are going to leave sign and it's a lot of times it's not the big giant tree that you're going to find it's that sapling that you know is a little bigger than your thumb that's got branches the size of your fingers that are broke off and twisted you know he stayed there and did some you know damage to it spent some time to it you're just kind of looking for that and then you just get a feel for okay this i could see a deer coming through here you know what's how thick is it you know it's uh then start putting your trail cameras out. I'll spread them out, get them in the area. Even at that time, they're still holding antlers, a lot of them. Get them in there, see if I can get a picture of the deer, see if I can get an idea. That's 
I found if I put more time there, I don't have to hunt as much on the back end during season. And then when season comes, I found if I go from, if I'm only, if I've only got a day to hunt, like, you know, an an evening or, or a morning, the chances of striking gold are going to be, it's like, it's slim. You really got to know that deer and know he's coming through that day, through that day or that time. And trail cameras can tell you that. But what I found is if you could put your five or six days together and be able to sit and hunt for five or six days, then they ain't got to be in the same tree stand. But if you could, in that general area, your chances of success go way up. They just do. And, and instead of telling your wife that you got to hunt you know, Friday evening or Saturday and Sunday, and then the next three, you know, then you miss a whole week, you're better off having a vacation and hunting at six or seven days and five, six, seven days in a row. And that kind of gets back to, again, the conversation that, you know, hunting a specific deer and, and kind of what that transition's like, um, which, you know, when you're talking about hunting a specific deer, I think a lot of people think of this like, oh, it's like the sexy thing to do. Like, man, I just want to go out, I'm going to run trail cameras, I'm going to find that one, two, three, four, five, six, however many big bucks, uh, and I'm going to try to go kill, you know, one or two of them or ever how many tags you got. Um, but it's a lot more difficult than that. Uh, I'll be honest, it's I haven't put a lot of uh, effort into it uh, in, in great, great detail. And the guys that I know that do – you know, some guys are very consistent and they just have a system to be able to make it happen on public land, uh, you know, year after year. And then others, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a serious learning curve when you're trying to hunt a specific deer. And also, you know, if anybody's heard the episodes we've done with Bobby, uh, you know, he's talked about, you know, passing up some deer that are actually, you know, when he tells one story, he passed up one deer that was actually bigger than the deer he was actually hunting after. But the, he was so dead set on hunting after that one specific buck that it, it didn't matter that the other deer was you know a little bit bigger than it um, because well, he, you got you got to understand he's close to home on that one right if you're for if you traveled to you you went to Iowa this last year there's that's going to be a tough you ain't going there to hunt a specific deer you're going there to hunt you may hunt an age class or. A, you know, a, a class of deer, right? But I think to hunt specific deer, it's got to be, it's got to be a place that you can go and check trail cameras regularly. And it's got to be within a couple hours. You know, you get that comfort zone of what you're comfortable making a, a trip just to tra- check trail cameras. You, if, if you start getting out there where I'm not, I'm not naive enough to think that I could go back to Illinois and, and hunt specific deer. Now I may see a deer, first day and say hey it's that deer or nothing and then i gotta you know spend a few days scout and get that but you know most of it for me is within you know two three hours away where i can get there put the boot leather on the ground in the off season and really spend the time you really got like you said there's the learning curve there's a lot that comes into it ego wise can you eat a tag are you that was one thing i struggled with can you can you let a tag? Can you go two or three years without without filling a tag? That's tough, and I don't I don't recommend it for everybody. I, it's tough for me to get over, but you know when you get that success, it's okay. It wasn't so bad. Look, I'm still alive, and it's just it ain't for everybody. 
I got a hunting buddy that hunts with me. Uh, he's younger than me, and I told him, man, be careful what you wish for. Because sometimes it gets where you're pulling your hair out and you're frustrated. Ah, oh, man, you know, but you got to be careful what you're, what you're after. And that's part of, you know, this is a conversation is it's an absolute grind from everybody I've, I've talked to that again, got into hunting more specific deer, uh, and not just an age class of deer. Cause that's a good way to put it. Like I'll people go like, I just want to go kill a mature buck. I want to go kill, you know, four or five, six year old deer. Okay. That's one thing. It's another thing where you like, you have a specific deer that you're like, I'm going to go kill that buck. Um, especially on public land when you have, you don't, you don't have control of whoever else is out there and all that kind of stuff. Um, this makes it super, super challenging. And it, it makes me want to, I, I kind of want to ask, you know, what were some of those impactful things that again, you know, through some of the conversations that you've had with Bobby, you know, actually, you know, getting opportunities to go hunt, y'all kind of hunt together a little bit and everything. What were some of those impactful things that you've kind of picked up? from again an outsider looking in and not coming from bobby's mouth but coming from like your mindset what are some of the things that he's said or have have talked about or showed you that were like okay this now makes more sense or it kind of either clicked for you or gave you a better path of what to look for when it comes to hunting a specific deer than instead of just hunting like a certain age class of deer uh he showed you know he showed me how important it was to you know it is to you get get to a scrape most people just look at it and it's all right it's you know size of a car hood they're worried about that or it's what's inside there. What's inside that screen? Is there, is there a buck track? And then here's how you measure it. You know, it showed me quick. Look, take a stick, put that stick in there, snap it, put it against your thumb. You know, your thumb is three quarters to an inch wide, right? Boom, boom, boom. You can measure it. You'll know, am I dealing with a mature buck here? You know, what's the, what's you know the average size deer that you're in that area you know kentucky's going to be different than tennessee's going to be different than illinois you know that was you know a big one because he's you know you could measure that track and you can visualize that track and it's there at that scrape and another scrape and you know odds are you can start kind of putting stuff together he, you know just the difference in you know uh looking at a tree row it's you know, I'll, everybody wants to see that big one. It's, you know, I'd always call that huge rub. And he'd be like, well, hold it. Look at this one. This one's got more damage to it. Look at the size of the limbs that he's destroyed on this. This tells me you're dealing with a bigger deer. You know, a small one may rub that. Of course, multiple deer may rub that. You're looking for the, you know, what you're, what the deer you're after. And you're trying to learn that area. You know, just kind of home range you know, the knowing when you've gone too far, like last year, that worked into my advantage. Um, like I was telling you, I used a lot of trail cameras and had them all in that small area. Well, the years before I was struggling with trying, you know, trying to learn this huge area when, you know, talking to him, it's like, no, hold it. You found where he's coming in. Now find the best, best spot in that 50 acres he's coming through. How many spots can you find that he's using? Well, that particular deer, we had three or four spots. And I was telling you about that logging road. Well, that ended up being the spot kind of where he was entering. Where, again, not, I didn't necessarily need to know, you know, why he was entering there. I mean, eventually I figured it out. Well, Chris, I, I want to kind of actually get into that specific hunt and that buck you killed last year because you killed a freaking 
you know, in my outlook, a huge, absolute monster deer, uh, for especially for Tennessee. Um, and it was kind of interesting because I know you, you know, of course you had trail cam photos of it. And of course, after talking to you, you kind of explained a little bit more about the situation. Uh, can we talk a little bit about that? And again, like how that hunt was, I mean, different. I mean, dude, I'll be honest. Like when you were telling me some of the details, I was like, holy crap. Like so many people would be overlooking that deer, uh, at least in the spot that you killed it at. So can we talk about like when, what kind of got you into like this general area and then what caused you to start running cameras in that spot and how long did it take to kind of get that deer on camera first? Okay. So just to clear up, it's Kentucky. Um, I'm public land. And what got me in that area was I'd hunted several areas in the past and just struggled to really lock on it, lock on a deer and ended. And I'm always walking new pieces. Right. And different WMAs, you never know where the next, you know, you just never know. So what got me in that specific area was a few, two years before that, it was the last day of the season. We were getting ready to go hunt. I had a buddy videoing me and he said, hey, let's go down where you found that one shed antler. Well, I found a shed to a different deer and we went to hunt, see if we could run into that deer. That deer came out and he was huge. He's mid-160s, low-170s. Couldn't get a shot at him. Uh, anyway, so that's how I got locked down to that area. Well, the next year, we got a, I picked the deer I killed. I picked his shed up, and he, he had this little drop tine, and it was in the same field up on the other shed. So that was that's how I got locked in that area. And I started running cameras in that area and trying to get on either one of those deer. And this deer that I killed blew up. I mean, he... he maybe put on 40 inches 35 and one year is crazy it's i got the shed i'm going to pick the the deer mount up monday and i'll post some pictures of it but anyway ran cameras in that whole area there's not a lot of deer in that area but just trying to track it down and track it down well we got back toward the road up top and there's this parking spot where everybody kind of parks and there's a like a it's a walking path but it's not anything major it's an old logging road that runs on the top of this ridge system and it splits off well there's a split and i had a trail camera there and that's where i'd track this big deer back to and then all of a sudden this drop time buck shows up and you know we're i'm either one of them i'm hunting them both well i, I couldn't quite figure out how he was entering this this particular you know area of, the, of his home range so and i was worried about human traffic so there's i put about eight cameras up in less than a two acre um area and most of it was to catch there's a scrape on this logging road but half the cameras were to track human traffic i wanted to know how were these deer reacting to human traffic and how many people were coming in there you know so i told you that and this is no lie this this scrape a deer hunter would go through in the morning in the dark. You'd see him go through. And at first light, you'd see a buck come up. Now these are bucks ranging from year and a half olds to, you know, the deer I killed. They'd come up, work that scrape, walk off. That deer hunter would come out at 11, go to his truck. Here come another buck. Work that scrape, walk off. Here come another deer hunter in to hunt the evening. Another buck. It was like clockwork. I'm looking at all these photos. i holy smokes. This trap, this human scent doesn't poke them right here. So I knew I wanted to be up on that, on that 
logging road because this is where everybody's coming through. They're crossing at this one spot. But I know if I put a tra- tree stand up there, that you know everybody would catch on to it. So I had to hunt down from it. And that's, you know, he ended up uh, coming over the hill toward me um, in November, mid-November. I knew I wanted to be there in mid-November, too, because the years prior, the big deer seemed to move that November 15th, 16th, 17th time. It just seemed to move more, and there was less pressure. So I saw nobody all week I was there. So the same tree stand every day. I didn't go in it. I didn't go in before daylight. This is another thing I've changed and tweaked is I go in right at daylight. I wait for the sun to start coming up and go in because I don't want to jump anything. I don't want, if I jump something, I want to be able to see it. And if I'm in the dark, I can see your headlamp, whatever. I don't want to, I just, it's easier for me to walk in in the daylight, sit, and then right at last light before it gets too dark. If I can't shoot, I don't want to get stuck there. So if nothing's around me, I'm getting down and getting out. And it, that just seemed to, it worked. I sat there five, five days in a row. Never, and any deer came in, never had one wind me. I, uh, you know, you've heard Bobby say he uses those Alimitrax boots. Well, I've got several pairs and I use them and I've seen them. I mean, I've seen them work. I've had deer, I had a big deer stand below my tree stand. Standing almost in those things because you take them off, leave them below your stand in Illinois and shot him. I mean, he just, he never knew I was there. He couldn't, he just standing there underneath. But anyway, I never got winded. And here he come over the hill. I knew it was him. You know, Drew and at 30 yards gave him a, you know, a mouth grunt. He stopped and hit him and he went over the hill and died. And I left my camera. So left him going and it was, you know, bucks just kept coming through. So that's a spot. It's, less than 100 yards off the road most people walk right past it once you hear bobby you know several conversations with bobby that weekend you know he kept telling me they are where they are you're just you're in the right spot and it's i'd have to show you on a map kind of what it it's just all these remember i said you just all these funnels and all these travel corridors coming into one spot and there's five or six of them that led up to this ridge top where this scrape was and these deer were crossing the road and coming in that logging too walking the same path that all these humans were House of Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981. 
and offer you a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and Andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. Yeah, so I had a, a bunch of kind of compounding you know train funnels and features there it kind of brought them all to that location and that's kind of funny because you know some we talk about that sometimes and it's like you know everybody gets looks and again guilty as well you know i found some really good stuff close to the road uh but it's like you always gonna look okay we're kind of go to outwalk somebody or go through something that somebody's not going to go through which can work in, in a lot of places um but also if you always have that mindset about deep and going in far and outworking everybody sometimes outworking everybody may just mean don't do what everybody else is doing and going in there half a mile, but maybe it's, again, hang hang tight closer to the truck because the deer are more comfortable in that location, and it might not just be nighttime sign, too. Yeah. And, I mean, look, I walked past it for two years. <laughs> I walked, you know, so it was something the wear wasn't clicking to me until I had all those trail cameras sitting there, and I went and pulled and checked them. You know, it was late October, early November, and here's all this deer sign, all these deer, just all these bucks ranging from ages and, you know, everything coming through there. And it was like, it's this light bulb. Boom. This is the where. I ain't got to go no further. Was there any other specific sign in that general area that kind of told you that buck that you killed was in that area? Or was it just what you were finding on trail camera that there was some kind of a pattern there where he was coming and checking that scrape? Well, just... Two years of trail cam photos was he was within that general area. Um, he was on some other scrapes off some points that you know I had, but not as regular as on this uh, logging road. And it was and it really what really got me was it was so there were so many different deer using that, and to me it was like holder. If there's a lot of bucks using this area, there's probably a really good reason here. I don't necessarily need to know the reason. Maybe it's easy access to this whole everything on each side of this ridge. This is where they're coming from across the road. It's easy. I just know that he's been through here. This other big one that I'll be after this year is, you know, through here. And all these other deer, these smaller deer that, you know, I got pictures of have been coming through here. So I didn't get, I didn't, like I wasn't smart enough to get caught up on trying to figure out why they were coming through there. It was just like, this is where 
I'm not smart enough to go and chase him down. I just, this is where I need to be to kill him. Yeah, it's not overcomplicating it and overthinking something. And that's something, again, I, I'm personally guilty of is overthinking a lot of situations and, and trying to get into almost like the deer psychology. And it's, it's sometimes it's fun because you're, you're over here, you know, you're you're thinking of like, oh, man, you know, what's what's the reason? But in all reality, like especially when you talk to guys like Bobby and like yourself, it really, like especially if you're hunting this kind of style, it really doesn't matter. Uh, you know, with what we're talking about, we're talking about rut here, specifically rut hunting. So that that is something that's very applicable to what we're talking about. We're not talking about early season or necessarily late season either. But, you know, it's more, again, the where, not the why. You know, that actually might be the, the, the name of this podcast is, is focus on the where, not the why. Um, and, and Jacob, you asked earlier where I was, where I kind of differ from Bobby. I don't mind early season hunting if I've got the trail cam. If I know, like this other big deer we're going, that I'm going to chase this year, I think I know kind of Ryan Brownabouts where he's betting and, and how he, really how he's using this terrain. And I, I have several early season trail cam photos of him. So I'm going to get in there early. As soon as our youth football program's done, you know, season's over, I'm going to be in there just checking trail cameras and whatnot. And if he shows up, I've got a really good idea and I'm going to be you know, in the middle of where, where he wants to be and where he's at trying to take a chance. So it's, I'm not against the early season stuff. It's just to me with my time, most often it's, I have to wait till the rut. And to be honest, that's something that's very common for just, you know, any average listener. I mean, if you have a, you know, normal job and, you know, you work nine to five Monday through Fridays and you got a family and everything uh, and maybe a couple of weeks of vacation, there's there's only so much time you can really go to, you know, put into, you know, hunting uh, other than just doing weekend hunts. And, and that's kind of what you mentioned early on this podcast is, you know, if you only hunt the weekends, and we've talked about this in detail, and, and I, I saw this last year personally after going full-time with the show and having time to hunt during the week, is if you just hunt weekends you're starting over every single week. Like when you get done hunting Sunday, when you start back Friday afternoon or, or Sunday, Saturday morning, the conditions have probably changed. Uh, that patterns change depending on if it's the rut, the doe group that this buck was checking, they may have already come into heat, already been bred and be out of heat by that time you come back in there. If it's early season, food sources can change, bedding can change. If it's late season, again, food sources could change, pressure could change. Um, Versus if you have five, six, seven days in a row you can hunt, you're you're not only are you there in an area where you kind of already have an idea of what's going on, but you can find that pattern, you can capitalize on that pattern and stick with that pattern through that whole hunt. And especially if you're hunting a specific deer or just a specific age class of deer, it gives you more opportunity to be able to be there right when he's there because you've kind of mentioned this and I know you told me a lot about this off airs. You know, there's no guarantee that buck's coming in there every day or every other day. So why does it make sense to be all running gun and jump around from spot to spot if I know he's going to come through this area within a certain time period? Well, I need to be there when he's there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The more I chase around, I found, if the more I chase around, the more sun I'm leaving. Now, I know some guys, that's their style, and that's, that's great. That's like I told you earlier, you got to find a guy that, you like his style and it kind of matches your personality and the way you, your, you know, the way you click. And this is just kind of hit Bobby's personality and the way he does things and kind of it clicks with me. I don't mind sitting the same tree stand for 
five days in a row as long, you know, cause we're hunting a specific deer and I'm waiting for him to come through. And it's like, I, you know, like we talked, it's, you don't, you got to know the window. He's going to be there. He's odds are on public land. He's not coming through there every day. If he was coming through there every day, he probably wouldn't be alive. Right. And the most, the, you know, the hunting, the weekends only, the biggest thing that I've seen is, is pressure because there's so many different work schedules now. It ain't, it's not all just typical Monday through Friday. So you got the whole week of nobody's hunting. Now you've got so many different, you know, people doing, you know, uh, Friday through a Monday and they got the week off. So there's pressure all the time. And that changes <laughs> by the, like you said, by the time you get there next weekend, you're starting over. You're starting over. And if you'd have had four or five days, you might've been on top of it. Now, the buck you killed last year uh, in Kentucky, yeah, so I misspoke earlier saying Tennessee, but in, in Kentucky, um, th- that deer, you said that, you know, he was, you know, consistently or more consistently on that camera, on that scrape versus some of the other locations you had trail cameras uh, on, like Ridge Points that had scrapes on as well. When you're saying he was more consistent, like how, I'm sure listeners are wondering, like how often on average was he coming through that general area and checking that scrape uh, and on that camera compared to these other locations? So the other locations I had in one time, this location I had in three or four uh, within a see that within a week's period there, right before I, you know, I told you I went up late October, early November, checked my cameras, preparing because I knew when I wanted to be there, and he was there, you know, that week. I could have killed him if I'd have hunted that week. Of course, I would have had guys walking right by me, but um, he started to, you know, he was there four or five times. Uh, checking that scrape and, it, and it, a lot of it too came down to like i said there was a lot of bucks a lot of different age deer checking that one scrape so it was almost like they enter that area gotta go check this scrape and then i can go off and go my own route and do what they usually do it was so that that really the light bulb went off and of course he was you know on that so i just had to find a place there where i could hunt not only elude him and his senses, but also elude any deer hunter that might walk through not seeing me because it don't take much. You know that guy sees you hunting somewhere. It could, if it's an oddball spot, they're going to start asking, well, why is he hunting there? Well, he's hanging. You can almost see his vehicle from here. It's got to be a reason. At least, you know, somebody that's, Mark, we start asking those questions. Man, I've got a great story. I don't know if I want to tell it. Uh, Go ahead, man. Well, no, no, it's not. I'll tell you. It's more about because it has to do with the listener. Uh, As a listener, I don't know, but Andrew ran into him. there was a, uh, and he probably listened to the podcast, it's all good, but uh, Andrew was hunting a spot last year, and he actually was scouting the spot, um, but he had his bow with him, and he was kind of checking the area out, and heard, and he was uh, super close to the road, like super close to the road. And it was a little dirt road, and um, he heard a truck coming. And he's like, well, I'm just going to, you know, uh, like he was done scouting that spot, and he like got back on the road, and it was just kind of like walking down, and the guy came and pulled up and turned it out. He's a listener to the podcast, and it was a guy Andrew wasn't familiar with, but he was listening to the show. And, uh, of course, it's public land, and him and Andrew were talking a little bit, and Andrew's like, yeah, I'm just scouting down in there and checking that spot out. And uh, Andrew had a camera down there that he was checking, and he, he wasn't able to check the camera when the guy came through. Well, the guys like they talk for a little bit, and the guy turns around, and drives off, and it's like a little drainage. It's like a, it's like a, there's like a creek right there, and this is like a little drainage that goes down to the creek coming through these pines. 
And when the guy turned around and left, Andrew went down and started like messing with the camera. And he was down there messing with it for a little while. And he was down there just like kind of hanging out for what he was like checking some signs, some scrapes and stuff in that spot. And I think it was like 30, 40 minutes went by and he was about to leave and he heard something walking and, uh, thought it was a deer. So Andrew like gets set up and actually I think grunted a couple times. And a couple minutes later, that guy came walking in from the other side of the Creek, crossing the Creek. And then coming up that drainage where Andrew was at, checking that trail camera. Uh, so, you know, stuff like that happens. You know, if people see you in a spot, you know, it's public land. You can do what you want. Uh, but, you know, that that is something that's, you know, very, like, you got really got to take that in consideration when you're in areas and, and checking stuff out. That Like, hey, you know, if, if you're going to be hunting specifically in and around access and roads, Man, you better you better be sly about it. You better be real slick. And I've got a spot like that on, on one of these pieces of public that we hunt, and it's very much like that. Like I'm parking, uh, not miles down the road, but far enough away that if you saw my truck, you thought I'd be in a totally different part of the piece of public. And I'm I'm walking the road, getting to a spot that you know most people. I, I've literally ran cameras there. I've never seen a person in that single spot, and it's like you said, it's a hundred yards off the road. Yeah, um, I'm a. Uh... I'm a lot like that, and I refuse to say. I, it, there's a, my hunting buddy J.W. Roberts can attest to this. I refuse to let anybody see me in the woods. Yep. <laughs> if I see you coming, and it's not that I don't, I, I just it's not chit chat time for me. I don't, I don't want you to see me get out of my truck and go in the woods. I don't want you to see me come out of the woods and get in my truck. Uh, it's you know, there's a vehicle there, but it's a lot easier if you see the guy come out. You're going to go chit chat with him. What most people are going to try to do is they're going to try to gauge what what, what level of hunter is he. They ask you questions because Bobby does this. <laughs> I've watched him do it. He'll ask questions and they're loaded questions. Oh, and he's give me some details. I, I want the, I want the details. All right, give us some example and keep working through this. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> he just I I can't remember specific questions, but he'll ask questions and he and I'll, I'll be like, man, you what were you trying to figure out there? And he's like, I was trying to figure out you know, what level deer hunter is, you know, is, is the, you know, if he's coming, if he's a, you know, he seems like he's a good deer hunter. So guy asks you a question and he gets to think, Oh man, Jacob's a real good deer hunter. He's parked right here. Well, he, he's probably after a big one. There's got to be a big one here. Right. So I try to avoid any conversation, especially after watching Mr. Worthington, you know, ask questions to certain people trying to get loaded questions. Like, ah, no thanks. Oh. I will. I will hide in the woods and tell everybody's gone. It's, to me, it's when you see somebody come out, you can associate them with that vehicle. Then it's a different ball game, and they can. You're there. They can ask you questions, and they're. To me, it's we're human beings. We're always it's the chess game, especially public land hunters, right? Chris, you're always trying to figure something out. Chris, I'll tell you right now, you and me could be best friends, my man. <laughs> Dude, Andrew gives me hell because I'm I'm not gonna say you know I'm not sitting in the woods like two hours after dark waiting for somebody to leave the parking lot to go to my spot, but but definitely you may have some similarities there. Andrew's waiting two hours for you to come out. He's got issues. (laughs) Yeah, oh for sure. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you ain't. Yeah, you're right. Um, but. No, but Andrew's hilarious because Andrew's not. Andrew's so funny, and I give him. If, if he was on this podcast, I'd still give him hell about it. He's one of those guys. He's so nice, which is cool. It's you know that's that's fine. But I'm like, don't be nice talking about stuff if you're in one of these areas that we're really trying to like hunt hard. Um, 
but uh, you know it, that it is kind of what it is. You know, it's I've met some pretty cool people in the woods and, and, and you know in hunting situations. But like you said, like the least amount of impact you can make of like your presence being there uh, definitely is a leg up, especially if you're hunting a, a specific deer. This is where I think it comes into if you're hunting poke land. If you're hunting a specific deer, or if dude. Take a flip side. Andrew's now in a hunting club. Uh, he's going to be hunting public land this year, but also in his big lease that he's on. And there is like 18 other members. And I told him the same thing, dude. It's like, hey, you know, if, if you find a good deer, run some trail cameras right now, some really good looking spots, haven't checked them quite yet. You know, it, man, you better be real. You know, there, a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys on the club aren't going to do what he wants to do as in like the hunting style, but still like not knowing what's present there, um, you know, just kind of keep it more on the on the, on the down low. Uh, I guess. Yeah, he better be he better be careful. I heard him talking on a podcast. I think it was last week or week before. He was talking about a swamp. Well, I just thought, mm, be careful. You're gonna give it away. <laughs> You're gonna get the people will start putting two and two together. I mean, it's, you'd be surprised. That's I hear I hear stories of you know Bobby saying guys would figure find out he was hunting area and maybe looking for his vehicle. You know, Don Higgins talks about the same stuff. Um, only guy I've ever met at one dude, I'll give you a quick story and then I'm, I promise I'll shut up. Uh, so I'm checking my trail cameras here in Tennessee and I hear a, hey, I was like, it was late summer. And it's, here comes this uh, nice guy, he's a great dude. I had to go meet him. I, you know, there was no way around it, right? I was going to take off running, like, you know, but I walked over to him and got, you know, shook his hands, hey, how you doing? Well, it turns out, great dude. Um, I'd say his name, but I don't want to be a great guy. We're hunting the same buck, right? So we kind of make a pack right there. It's like, here, I'll share information with you, right? So we get to know each other. We're sharing information. Fred's a great dude, great guy. We're, we're sharing. And somebody ended up killing that deer. I'm not lying. It was six or seven miles away. It was six or seven miles away. It was crazy. It was, it was insane that uh, that deer went that far given the terrain he was in and the, the deer population he was in. But yeah, I met um, Fred and he was a great dude. He's the only guy I've really ever in the woods kind of not hid from. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask this. Um, this, I mean, this could be almost like some tips as well. Like if you do run to somebody like without, like, I, I, I kind of wish I'd never thought about asking Bobby this. When we get Bobby back, I might have to like, you know, I'm sure Bobby's going to be listening to this podcast, but, you know, I need to hold his feet to the fire and ask him, like, you know, what are some of those questions that he likes to ask when he runs into somebody? And also, you know, how do you get out of one of those conversations if they're asking the questions to you? Um, but how did that conversation go about? And this is something that we can kind of talk about from, like, how to handle these conversations in the woods. What was the conversation like? And how did who opened up? Who was the one that was willing to share information about a specific deer that, you know, the other party like agreed to share their part of the story? You talking about me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The guy right here. Mm-hmm. Honestly, we walked up and I kind of got a feeling for him. You know, he seemed like a great dude. He was telling me where his trail cameras. I got a trail camera here. I got one over here. Got one over there. And uh, I kind of just gauged, all right, this he's he's telling me where his trail cameras are. So I'd say, hey, you know, I got one over here, and I believe it was just kind of letting me know, hey, I'm over here, and it was kind of respect as, hey, you know what, I'm over here, got a trail cam, you know, blah, 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 and then I just kind of asked, because you're hunting a big deer, you know you ain't the only one that knows about it, especially in that area, and I just asked him, I said, hey, what deer are you hunting, and he said, because I could tell he was, you know, kind of on that cut of that cloth of 
you know, hey, I'm hunting, you know, mature bucks. And he said, well, I'm hunting this deer that's got a funky side. And I said, oh, gosh. I said, yeah, I'm hunting the same deer. And at that point, it really didn't matter to me whether I killed it or he did. Um, as much as I love to keep my information to myself, I'm not a selfish person. And that was, at that, you know, it was, it was cool to meet him. I was glad that I wasn't able to kind of get away from him. But uh, I was hoping he would actually kill that deer. Um, neither one of us killed that deer. Somebody, I don't know if it was a deer hunter, they found it dead somewhere um down you know in another part of the wma but uh yeah i just kind of once he started telling me he had trail cameras and he had hunted he was hunting over here i knew right he's 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 running five six eight trail cameras in here he's he's got a picture of this deer i just wasn't going to play stupid but you know i mean you can't you got to be careful people will know right away that's kind of what bobby picks up on the guy that guy was he was trying to hide some information he just you could just kind of get a feel for people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why, you know, I've had conversations, people have asked me stuff in the woods. I'm just, you know, like you said, you try to get a a feel for somebody and sometimes you're more blunt than others on, on how you answer certain things. And this this kind of is what it is. Um, If you see a a guy, if you see a vehicle there often, right. Yeah. To me, if I see your, if I pulled up and I saw Jacob's vehicle there, you know, on the regular, I, I know, okay, this guy's putting the work in. He's he's obviously here. He's after something. And that's kind of what is I see Fred's vehicle there, right? I see Fred's vehicle, especially after we met. And it was like, okay, this, this dude puts the work in. If he kills this deer, it ain't, ain't the end of the world to me. I'd rather have somebody with that work ethic kill that deer than, you know, somebody just show up, you know, walk through and get lucky oh yeah absolutely um and and i'll be honest like i've you know met some you know pretty cool individuals in the woods that you know still friends with today but it it is one of those things that like you know i guess like in that piece of public land which we're gonna cut that out when you said that um i've hunted there as well actually i have experience hunted there and actually killed a few deer there as well and um it is uh, the the amount of people hunt out there i mean it's got you know population close you know there's you know a lot of people in the area and and definitely like you can run into a ton of people and like early bows early bow season i didn't really see it but you know came to like the rut oh my gosh it was it was crazy actually that's one of those places that uh we've talked on the podcast a couple times had an old lady on, on one side of the piece of public land that you could not access without going through private and uh i, I made you know, I knocked on her door, got permission, and she'd let me go, you know, access through her property to the public. And uh, probably should have done it more than I did because there were some really good deer in the area, but I, I got, again, tied up with work. But um, that was the only time I could get away from people, like, legitimately um, was, you know, getting really kind of creative like that. So no matter what, you're going to have uh, – I'm not saying conflicts, but you're going to have run-ins with people when you're hunting public land because it's public land. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of is what it is. But uh, I, now I'm very curious. I, I, I'm gonna, I want to call Bobby. I, w- I want to know. I want to know some of those questions and how he goes about having that conversation with somebody to, to judge him. I won't tell the story, but if you you get him on the phone again, ask him about the property, how he got permission on a property with his last name. Okay. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. You just say, "Hey, Chris." Chris says you got permission on a piece of property where the the owner had the same last name. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. All right, perfect. It's, it's, it's a it's a good story. Um yeah, yeah. I, I don't you know, 
before I, before you call, you know, before we end this, I'd you know, like to thank guys like Bobby Worthington and Don Higgins and, you know, Dan Infault for sharing their knowledge with guys like me, right? We're so blessed nowadays that we've got YouTube, we've got more, you know, your podcast, we've got all this to come and get information from, you know, and those guys didn't have all that. They had to, you know, I'm not saying they learned it all in the woods. They had, but they had to chase it down a little, a little harder than we got to nowadays. And it's, um, they got a hard, you know, a lifetime of hard hunting to learn all that. It's just, it, to me, it's a little easier to learn nowadays with all the media outlets we have and whatnot. And, you know, I'd say if you're a guy that wants to hunt public land and you're getting into a new guy, you know, your personality, you know, the way you, you know, what makes you click, uh, find somebody that's successful doing what you want to do and find us if, you know, make sure their style meets what you're looking to, what you're going to have fun with and stick with it, go with it. And then, you know, you find your own little ways to tweak things. It won't be major things, but just little things. You'd be pretty successful. It's enjoyable. And like you said, Chris, you know, you got to find somebody, you know, kind of matches again, your style of hunting, your personality and really run with it. Because again, that's, we get that question all the time on the podcast is, you know, how do you interview all these different people that have all these, you know, they're all successful in their own right, whether, you know, it's a guy down in South Florida and a monster deer is 110 inches and he consistently kills a deer like that every year. Or you're talking to Bobby Worthington on, on the flip side. It's like, you know, uh, you know, there's so many people that we talk to that are successful in their own, in their own right, in their own, in their, their own light. And it's, it's difficult from a listener perspective to figure out, okay, of all these people that you hear on the show, who is worth really kind of diving in with and, and really trying to like, not necessarily do everything that they're doing, but really use them and their style of hunting as a resource for, for, you know, what would best fit me, where I hunt, how I hunt, how I like to hunt and, and really kind of get with it. Because again, the one commonality I have with, or no, not that I have, but the one commonality that I see with a lot of these different people that we interview is they don't necessarily uh, these guys have been super successful for decades they're not um they're, they're not getting off their path of success they're, they're not trying i'll be honest they're not really necessarily not, not really trying anything necessarily new like they figure out what's working with them and they stick to the plan that they're, they're like i'm not trying to add anything else to it because this has worked i figured it out but it's kind of that hard uh earned sweat and equity that sweat equity that you put into it that they have the results and they know what's working with. And it's harder when you're new starting out or newer where you're saying like, you know, going like how you were, uh, Chris, where you were just, you know, getting where you could get consistent killing deer with a bow. And so now you want to kill better deer than you want to kill specific deer. There's a big jump with both of those, just, you know, killing better deer. And then there's a bigger jump to killing a specific buck. Um, and when you do that and you have that mindset, if you start paying attention to all these different people at once, uh, you're going to be going in a circle. And, uh, again, I see people that, you know, make comments on some of these different groups all the time about that. Cause they're trying one thing this year and they're trying something else next year or one week they're hunting beds the next week, you know, they're hunting feed trees and it's like, you know, you keep flip flopping back and forth and you might have some success, but you're really going to struggle too. Oh yeah. It's, you got to stick to, you know, I use a football, you know, thing here is, uh, we run the wing tee. I'm not going to run the wing tee this year and this, you know, you know, run and shoot next year. And then, you know, you got to stick to what, you know, what, you, what you like, 
what makes you excited about it. Find someone that does it. Go learn everything you can from them. Take it to the woods. Put your time in. Put your work in. And man, I bet you most of the people you interview on this podcast, I guarantee you, if, if uh, you know these listeners found a guy, hey, I like Bobby's way, or I, you know, and reached out to him, you'd be surprised how many would be willing to take you, meet you somewhere in the woods, and kind of show you firsthand. Here's what I'm talking about, because a lot of times it's lost in, you know, to new guys, it's lost in translation. It's kind of, what is he talking about? You know, what does he mean by funnel? He, you know, without a, you know, a, a traditional funnel, most people can pick that out. But, you know, to see what a certain guy may say, this is a funnel in the woods and they, be, you know, light bulbs start, start clicking. So I would tell you, I would urge your listeners to reach out, reach out to those guys, you know, if it's. Get on the phone with them. Talk, you know, be surprised what you're going to learn and what, what they're willing to share in that, you know, that setting. They may meet you somewhere. You may live close to them. They can walk in, you know, walk somewhere with you and just kind of put things out and you know, kind of get you moving faster. That's what happened for me. Absolutely. Well, Chris, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. I'm glad uh, we were able to kind of make this happen. I think it was a fun episode. And again, you know, the, the big, the big point, one of the big points here is, you know, don't worry about the why, just worry about the where. Uh, I think that's something that everybody can really kind of pay attention to, um, and really kind of dive deep on, especially when we're talking rut hunting here. But, uh, Chris, again, thank you for coming on the podcast listeners if you've enjoyed this podcast like we say every week you know go leave us a, a five-star review on apple or itunes if you're an iphone listener uh and then also share the uh, the podcast with a buddy uh of course we're gonna have uh some of bobby's episodes that we've had on bobby word episodes uh numbers in the show notes so you can check those out and just appreciate everybody's support and we'll catch you back here on the next episode of the southern outdoorsman podcast Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.